Welcome to Tooled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where Dr. Cathy Weston selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Tom King is a first-year PhD student at the Great Ormond Street Institute of Child Health at University College London, under the supervision of Dr. Sophie Bennett. His current work focuses on integrated health care for children and young people experiencing both physical and mental health conditions. He previously studied for a research master's degree in psychiatry at Oxford under the supervision of Professor Mina Fazel. During this time, his work focused on the mental health outcomes of peer support interventions in schools. Prior to this, Tom completed his bachelor's degree in mental health nursing and had a brief clinical career, including time on child and adolescent mental health wards before moving exclusively into research. Well, you're very welcome, Tom. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And you are going to be our researcher of the month, which is very exciting because we know that you've just published a fantastic paper, which is in front of me examining the mental health outcomes of school-based peer-led interventions on young people, a scoping review of range and a systematic review of effectiveness. So congratulations for that. Thanks so much. Thank you. So this particular paper really attracted our attention because you were reviewing the available literature on something that schools talk quite a lot about and people are generally seem to be quite positive about. And that's the sort of how efficient or efficacious peer-led well-being interventions are in schools. Tell us a little bit what they are, first of all, Tom. Yeah, sure. So the whole area of peer support generally is quite wide and definitions do tend to vary. So for example, you can have sort of professional peer support services within mental health services, you know, especially certainly in this country, whereby somebody with lived experience of a mental health condition is kind of employed to support somebody else going through a similar experience. So the peer element in that context is obviously this, yeah, this, this shared experience. On the other hand, you can have peer support initiatives in kind of places like universities and schools, where that peer definition shifts slightly to one predominantly based on, on age, although there are nuances within that. And this is more aligned with the kind of peer-led interventions that we were looking at. So there, there are a number of ways of defining what a peer-led intervention actually is. The definition that we specified for our review was any intervention that involved a, a child or young person delivering an intervention to their similar age peers, and in our case, any interventions that were also looking at mental health or well-being outcomes, and all within the same school setting. And the reason that we decided to focus on that was because we were really looking to isolate the kind of effectiveness and specific considerations of delivering these interventions within the context of one school. So these programs can come under lots of different names. They've been used in, in a number of ways as well. So they can be referred to as sort of peer tutoring programs, peer coaching, peer counselling, befriending, buddying, lots of different names. But we use this kind of umbrella term of peer-led interventions to encapsulate all of those for our review. They typically involve certain stages. So generally there's a recruitment stage, so recruiting peer supporters to the intervention, and then some level of training before they then go out and deliver the intervention to other students. And there's typically an element of, of supervision as well, adult supervision for those peer supporters. And in our review, we were looking at interventions that were at least co-led by a young person. So that peer-led element really being key. There are some examples of interventions where an adult, typically a teacher, would kind of facilitate peer-to-peer -peer discussions. That's not really what we were looking at in this review. They really had to be that core element of, of being at least co-led but by a young person. 
you can really imagine why intuitively it really makes sense to sort of encourage peers to support each other or you know you can imagine even from a sort of financial perspective it's so efficacious to encourage that kind of coaching model in schools it makes sense I'm, I'm sure it's very appealing to schools yeah absolutely and I kind of had the same Mina Fazel and I but kind of had the same intuition so it's really interesting to kind of delve into what the evidence actually says I think there are a number of reasons why why this format might be appealing to schools there was in fact a, a large UK-based evaluation of piloted peer support interventions I think they published in 2020 they sort of spoke to schools following the the pilots of, of these different interventions and they reported some really interesting kind of benefits so they suggested that given capacity constraints within the school and feeling limited in what they could actually offer to young people particularly young people below the threshold for clinical intervention that this format really sort of started to fill that gap for them they also reported a growing demand for mental health and well-being support among their students. So again, this kind of low-level approach may be useful for, for addressing that increasing demand. And also the potential for this type of program to alleviate pressure on the existing kind of pastoral and, and welfare approaches that are already in place, as well as strengthening young people's support networks, hopefully. And other research has shown benefits to the school environment. So they've been shown to increase feelings of whole school connectedness and, and school engagement which again, you know, it would be really positive outcomes for a school, I would imagine. So they're quite resource light compared to other formats, which again may make them more feasible for schools to implement. Like you say, you know, almost certainly more cost effective than other interventions that could be put in place. And one potential benefit of the intervention is that it can be delivered in a quite kind of ad hoc and mobile way. So there's studies where they've been delivered in, in a number of locations around the schools. So within playgrounds, within classrooms, common areas, so really making use of the school's existing spaces as well. And there's also, you know, in theory, a large pool of students within the school who have the potential to be trained up as these peer supporters, which, given the varying sizes of schools, makes it, you know, potentially more scalable, given the, the need of the school, and can maybe be implemented a bit more readily than other interventions as well. I think on a slightly more theoretical basis as well, given the increasingly understood importance of social influence and peer relationships, particularly in adolescent years. I think it means that young people are probably more likely, I think researchers kind of back this up as well, that young people are more likely to reach out to somebody their own age, potentially more than an adult or, or, or health professional. And given that we know that many mental health issues begin in childhood and adolescence, it's, you know, it's, it's a, a potentially really important and useful potential access point to, to care in schools, especially given that we know that many young people do find it difficult to reach out for support for a number of reasons. So having this group of supporters that they may be more likely to engage with, given these similarities, at least in age. Yeah, these, these kind of interventions have the potential to be a, an effective alternative route to, to actually getting support. Tom, did your paper just look at peer-led interventions in secondary schools? No. So we had quite broad criteria. So we were, we were open to including secondary schools and primary schools and also kind of special educational needs schools and colleges. So essentially looking at ages four to 18, so school ages. The majority of them were in secondary schools. Only a couple ended up being in primary schools. So yeah, the most of the evidence is, is kind of around secondary schools. Okay, so let's talk about your review, which is substantial, and your main findings about the impact and efficacy of peer-led interventions, both for peer leaders and for the recipients. Sure. So just to preface it a little bit, so this was part of my master's work back in 2018, 2019. We are working with Professor Mina Fazel. 
and the, the rationale for, for conducting this review was because we were initially just really interested in the potential of the format. And we got the impression that these interventions seemed to be quite widespread. But as far as we could tell, there wasn't like a, a good collation of the evidence, certainly not just focusing on schools. So we conducted, yes, a scoping review and a systematic review to try and identify the range of, of interventions that are out there and provide a bit of a, a map of what they tend to look like. And then also have this evaluation of the, the quality of the evidence as well. So if it's helpful, I can go through kind of what we were looking for with the studies as well before, before going into the results. Yes, please. Thank you so much. Sure. So we were looking for studies in which the intervention, as I said, was run exclusively within the same school. So all peer supporters and all students using the intervention were from within the same school. We were also looking for yeah, interventions that were primarily peer-led, as I've also said. So yes, studies could have been in, in any school environment, as long as the, the students were between were within school ages, so up to 18 years, typically. They had to have measured at least one mental health or well-being outcome. They didn't necessarily have to address mental health as a primary outcome. Studies with either looking at either peer supporter or peer recipient outcomes, or both. And like I said, we did try to keep the search as broad as possible beyond those criteria, just because we weren't really sure what was out there and we're looking to try and capture as much as possible. So for the scoping review, we found 54 studies that show that there's been a really wide range of interventions worldwide using this peer-led format, covering many, many different goals and aims. And within the paper, there's kind of a list of subcategories that there are lots, probably too many to go through at this point, but just to give a flavor of what some of them address. So they all cover well-being in some respect, but some in the context of bullying, suicide prevention, depression, substance misuse, school transitions, and, and lots more. And the, the majority of those were conducted in high-income countries, but they were very global overall. And as, as we spoke about earlier, most were conducted in secondary schools, but some were also in primary schools as well. Then in terms of the systematic review, we found 11 studies meeting the criteria for, for that review, four of which were randomized controlled trials. So all of the interventions were in secondary schools, but two also were based in primary schools alongside. Only one of the interventions that we found was co-led with a teacher. So all the others were exclusively peer-led, but typically with some element of kind of adult supervision or guidance alongside that. And the peer leaders were typically older. In terms of the, the actual mental health outcomes, so there weren't many sort of significant findings, but what we did find was that with for peer leaders, there was a significant improvement in self-esteem in a peer tutoring program. And those peer tutors were 16 years old. Another study found a significant decrease in social stress from a peer tutoring program as well. And they were 12 to 14 years old. That same study actually also found a significant increase in levels of guilt in that same group. And the author suggested, so this was a, a study in which, based in China, in which a classroom was split in half based on if you're the, the highest academically achieving students or the lowest academically achieving students. And those in the higher group were then trained to personally tutor a matched partner in the lower half of the group. And the author suggested this increased level of guilt was due to maybe not helping their tutees achieve their academic goals by the end of the intervention, which is a really important kind of consideration for other studies going forward. And then in terms of the peer recipient outcomes that we found, so there were there was a peer support intervention that found significant improvements in self-confidence over time in 12 to 13-year-old peer recipients. Another that was a peer-led asthma education program found a, a positive improvement on a measure of quality of life. And then the same study from before that found the increased guilt also found negative outcomes for the peer tutees as well. So they found that the tutees reported significantly higher levels of learning stress 
and significantly lower mental health scores. And the author suggested that that was due to being singled out and kind of publicly shown to be in the lower achieving half of the class. So so, some potential risks of even just conducting the interventions themselves or even just conducting the research to kind of consider going forward there. Absolutely. It sounds like the peer leaders have lots to gain, but the peer recipients, it's quite a sensitive area if you're coaching around academic skills and ability. Absolutely. And particularly in that format. So these interventions can either be kind of one-to-one matched or just generally have a service that students can then kind of self-refer themselves to. In that particular example, because of that element of being singled out, because, you know, everyone saw the matches, so you could you could tell who was not achieving as well. So I can see definitely why that would increase levels of stress and, and not be a particularly helpful kind of reflection for somebody. Were there any sort of considerations to sort of gender in your review? Do these interventions work optimally in co-ed environments or single-sex environments? Yes, an interesting question. I don't think we know enough at the moment to say who it works best for. Certainly, there was more of an uptake generally by female students. And that was pretty much across the board, in fact. There was one piece of feedback that some male students had joined as peer supporters and then left because they were kind of, I think there'd been a bit of teasing about their their role and t- taking part in that, which is which is obviously a shame. But yeah, so we know that, yes, yeah, so female students typically use them more often. But in terms of who benefits most, I, I don't think we have enough evidence to say that at this point. So for schools who already have established sort of peer-led well-being interventions, they could look at your research and it could help them sort of evaluate or think about putting in measures to evaluate things like self-esteem, you know, perception of the program as per student or peer leader. There's a few little bits and pieces they could begin to reflect on and think about based on your research, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important that if schools have the resources to do that, to have some kind of evaluation going alongside these programs, that would be really beneficial. There are so many variations of these types of interventions. That was something that came out of our research was that you know, schools' needs and resources tend to vary so much that the programs themselves then tend to reflect those differences. So if there can be kind of robust evaluations of these programs and maybe repeated evaluations of the same kind of programs as well, that would really kind of bolster the evidence base. So Tom, if you're a school thinking of implementing one of these programs, they could particularly read your review and reflect again on some of the ingredients of what might make a particular intervention a good one but I think that component of evaluation whatever you do try and evaluate it is really important. Yeah I completely agree I think given that there are so many elements of these programs so like I say there's sort of implementation elements to think about so the recruitment stage the training stage the actual delivery of the intervention where that happens how it happens what it involves supervision there are so many elements there that still there really isn't much of an evidence base to support. There are lots of different ways of doing each of those stages that we, you know, we can see in, in the studies here. But I think that the more evaluation of those... I think even having those criteria is very important. You know, how do you recruit people? What is their motivation to do it? There are many advantages, but also as you identify, it's a bit scary to think of some of the risks of matching young people, particularly in the area of mental health. The schools need to feel secure that they're doing something that is, you know, well-researched, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah, I I completely agree. And in terms of risks, it might be worth discussing kind of what came out of the literature in terms of risks as well from what we found. So there was unfortunately kind of a a distinct lack of discussion about risks in the studies that we reviewed. 
obviously I've just discussed the one that, that did find those negative results, which is which really bear consideration. Certainly for those peer tutees, like like we were talking about, if you're kind of singled out in any way, that may have a, a negative impact on a student. And then for the peer tutors who, who experience that guilt, I wonder if it's there may be the sense of responsibility for the outcomes of these interventions, and particularly if anything goes wrong. So I think it's really important to have that supervision element as well in place and for the school to understand the limits of these interventions and also for the peer supporters to understand their own limitations as well. And beyond this, I think there are some, well, there, there are obviously some really important considerations around safeguarding confidentiality when working with this age group and within a school setting, especially given the personal nature of the information that's kind of potentially being shared between two students, ensuring the safety of the, the student who's sharing that information, particularly if they if there's a suggestion that they may be at risk themselves or others. So having clear referral pathways and, and making sure that the peer supporters understand those signs and when to refer and who to refer to. The safety of the actual information itself not being shared amongst peers, so it's kind of guarantee of confidentiality, particularly given the setting that any you know personal information that, that, that ends up being shared that a student didn't want to be shared that could really affect their kind of social and educational life as well. And then also the safety of the peer supporters, so ensuring that they have adequate supervision so they're able to offload anything that they hear and and also feel supported. So there was a government review of peer support interventions published I think in 2017 and they spoke about some risks and potential mitigations as well. So one of the risks that they identified was kind of the project failing or just simply not being sustained and they kind of pointed to potential conflicting priorities within a school or a lack of time or maybe an over-reliance on a single coordinator. So they suggested having kind of clear and realistic plans, being flexible, enabling the scheme to develop and change over time, which is also found in another study as well, that when left on their own, they kind of morphed a bit to the needs of the school and also using peer supporters who can contribute over a long period of time to ensure that the kind of the, the interventions can be sustained. They also spoke about the negative impact on participants, potentially, similar to what I was just discussing then. So you know, children potentially being exposed to difficult or overwhelming information about mental health issues and very sensitive information. And they suggest that this can be mitigated by ensuring proper support for the peer supporters. The UK-wide rollout of this kind of piloted peer support interventions that I mentioned before, which is where schools were given kind of a skeleton of what the, the interventions should look like. The components are things like the ones we were just discussing, the supervision, recruitment, training, all these sorts of elements. But then we're really left to their own devices to, to devise an intervention that worked for their needs. And at the end of that, they found very few safeguarding concerns were reported across all the initiatives, which was encouraging to see. And they reported that any that did arise were dealt with appropriately by the peer supporters through kind of the proper channels and protocols. So there are definitely you know, risks to, to consider and really important to be aware of those. But there is you know, some, some encouraging information or at least guidance out there for potential, kind of, you know, how, how to mitigate those a little bit. Did you come across a sort of an optimal scheme, you know, a really inspiring scheme or a peer-led intervention that you thought, gosh, if I was running a school, you know, I would definitely try that. Was there anything that sort of stood out to you in all of the material that you've read? Yeah, it's a really good question. So there's a lot of variation. Some interventions were slightly more developed than others. There's one called Sources of Strength, I believe, and it's a suicide prevention program. And it was a very interesting format students within the school who were kind of seen to be as role models within the school or potentially quite influential were employed to then spread messages around the school, give informative talks, put posters around, hold assemblies and these kinds of things to just kind of spread awareness about suicide, which was interesting. 
I don't think they had any kind of significant findings in terms of mental health outcomes, but in terms of the format, I thought that was just quite interesting. And peers were certainly used in that way in a number of approaches. They were kind of used as as models of behavior that the intervention was trying to promote or raise awareness about, which is really interesting. I think it's difficult to point to any one that kind of looks like a gold standard. I think there's lots to be explored and so much difference among them. But it's certainly, you know, I think if I was going to be doing a peer education program, something like that, where these school-wide messages are sent around, there's some really interesting things to think about in terms of who the peer supporters might be and who, who the role models might be within the school and things. So I think depending on the need and, and the goal of any particular intervention, there were interesting bits in, in lots of these studies that we saw, but yeah, not necessarily one that really stood out as, yeah, kind of a gold standard format. Yeah, that's very helpful. I think the diversity of interventions available really speaks volumes to the sort of the efforts that schools are going to to make progress in this area and do something proactive when it comes to certainly mental health. Absolutely, absolutely. I completely agree. And we saw some really nice examples of very collaborative development and delivery of these interventions between teachers and students as well. I think given the fact that these these interventions are kind of by students for students in a way, it's, it's nice to see that. I think there are there are so many considerations here in terms of like we're talking about, you know, these, these different implementation considerations. I think it's nice to have young people involved in that, even just down to identifying what a peer actually is. I mean, one question that we had coming out of this was, is age enough to, to be able to qualify a peer? Is, is a student in year 13 a peer to a student in year seven in those students' eyes? Or do, do the ages need to be a bit closer together or, you know, all these different things to think about. So absolutely, it's great to see that so many of these interventions are are kind of in place and that there's a real kind of drive to find these effective interventions. Yeah, just, just you know, the more evaluations that, that can be done of these interventions, the better going forward. So Tom, tell us where you are now with this particular paper that's been published. What What, what else is going on in this area that you might be working on? So my work has actually taken a bit of a deviation from this work these days. Um, so this was primarily something I did for my master's work a few years ago. So I'm currently actually so yeah in the first year of a PhD at a different university at UCL. I'm now looking at the advantages and disadvantages of, of different models of mental health care for children and young people with chronic physical health and mental health conditions. So slightly different work, still really interested in peer support literature and any that comes up, I'm always really keen to see. You do see it kind of popping up in lots of different areas, which is really interesting. But yeah, in terms of my actual work on, on this specific topic, it's I'm kind of not doing that so much at this point. Well, you're obviously keeping very busy with a PhD at UCL, so that'll keep you occupied for a while. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, already is. <laughs> Tom, obviously, we're going to keep, you know, an eye on what you're doing and try and stay, you know, close to what you're doing and try and, you know, maybe have you back to talk about your doctoral work because it sounds fascinating as well. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you. OK, well, well done on being our researcher of the month. And we are excited to disseminate what you've been talking about in that paper to our schools. And I'll certainly be telling everyone about it when they ask about peer led intervention. So thank you so much for your contribution to that area and for joining me today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com 
parents and teachers in tooled up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the tooled up site.